Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by WitchSchool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. So this is new for Raise the Horns Radio. I'm Jason. This is my show. It's called Raise the Horns Radio because my blog is called Raise the Horns, and I'm lazy, and I cannot think of a second name. So here we are. It's a new show tonight because I'm talking to Thorn Mooney in a bar. Yay! Thorn Mooney has been my most frequent guest over the last three or four years. Because he's hanging out in this bar all the time. It's true. I do hang I do come here a lot. They all seem to know Ari and I's names here, right? Have you been impressed by that? How well we know everybody at this bar. Yeah, well, it's definitely. I mean, these are the kind of people you want on your side. Mm-hmm. All right, you gotta you gotta know your local bar. Yeah. Up. Just had my first drink of cider in the bar today, and I just recently brushed my teeth. So it's like sucking on lemons for a second. Yeah, well. It's, drinking cider is my natural state, though, so it'll all work out and it'll be fine. But thank you all for coming into the show. This is the first new show I've done in two months, so I appreciate all of you who listen to reruns and things. But I've got Thorn here, and I thought it'd be much better to talk face to face than via a phone or Skype, oh, this would be more fun and crazy. And Thorne's book just came out, and her book is called, wow, my brain is not working. It's called Traditional, Traditional Wicca, Wicca, A Seeker's, Seeker's Guide. Guide. Boom. 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 It's, right now it's number one on Amazon's top new witchcraft releases. That's true. Um, there's an awful lot happening on Amazon's book list. So, so yes. while, it, while it's exciting, it's also somewhat bewildering. Yes, we're going to talk about that because I think the observations are fascinating, and I like that. But first, I want to talk about the book. You finished the book about a year ago. Yeah. So this has been a long book cycle for you, I guess. Yes. Tell me how the book came together, why you decided to start writing it, and what that process was like. Um. So traditional Wicca really was sort of hatched in my head, and it kind of, like, I guess it percolated for so long that the actual writing process was relatively painless, um, beyond all of the self-doubt and worried about being, like, reculed or whatever by my upline um, and turning into Lady Sheba or something like that. Um, but the writing itself was was pretty easy because I knew what I wanted to say because I've been running a coven, and I was... I wanted something that I could point my own seekers and first degrees to. I, it occurred to me that I didn't have any favorite books that I liked recommending to people because when you recommend Gardner, I'm only doing it kind of as a historical, like, you should know this stuff aside. Gardner's books are terrible. They're really terrible. They're and terrible. I feel like, like people need to read them because I think it's a question of being educated as a witch, but it's certainly not advice I want anybody taking. You know, <laughs> like, there's nothing in there that I think is going to be like, wow, this is really going to blow your magical doors off. Um, and then all of the books that purport to provide guidance yeah, they're 20, 30 years old, right? I mean, Ray Buckland's Big Blue Book tells you how to make your own asame, right? There's nothing in there about the internet, right? <laughs> like, yes. What do I recommend to people? So I wrote my own. 
I'm always fascinated by like what book you recommend to a starter because it really shows your age for the yeah, most part. Oh hell like yeah! Like all the baby boomers, they recommend drawing down the moon. Drawing down the moon, they recommend Paul Hewson's Mastering Witchcraft. Sometimes do they? Yeah, some I of them do. I thought that was like a 21 year old trad witch Tumblr thing. It, well, it has, you know, kind of gone back into those circles. But I know a lot of older people who go with that. That's my wife's uh, phone. It was a text message. I wonder who loves her. Yeah, it wasn't me. I'm busy doing the show. It wasn't me. I'm busy on the show, too. Yeah, I think she has a secret boyfriend sometimes. What? It's me. It's work. <laughs> no. Well, I love her. Fine. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes Starhawk is the other one they recommend. Right. And I don't understand these things because none of these authors are writing about the Wicca that we're practicing. Yeah. They, I mean, it was before MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. It was pre-live journal. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it definitely it definitely dates you. Um, and I just... I mean, I got here courtesy of years of reading lots and lots of books. There was no one book I read that was like, oh, man, i got to be a Gardnerian. It was kind of something that I assembled in my head over the course of years and lots of experience, particularly hanging out with actual people. Um, so, like, I couldn't reach for Cunningham, I couldn't reach for Buckland, couldn't reach for um, Gardner and Valiente, and couldn't reach for Starhawk. Like, none of these folks quite have it right, or else the material is outdated, or I don't believe that people actually read it, even though everybody claims that they've read it. That's the other thing I run into. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I have this big stack of books, and there are no bent spines or any, anything, because I've never read them. Oh, my spines aren't bent, but it's because I'm probably better at handling books than you are. No, I don't bend my spines either. Okay. No. I'm very serious about that. That's good. We can still be friends. There are sometimes, like, nacho cheese stains, though, in the margins <laughs> of books. And I will admit this from back in the day. It's huh. just there. But the spine is beautiful. Hmm. Beautiful. It just smells like nacho cheese. <laughs> well, um, anyway, that's where this book came from. I wanted something that I felt confident... You know, if I got an email from somebody through a listserv or a Facebook speakers group or whatever, I wanted to be able to go, here, just read this and leave me alone. Email in a couple of months and you're done. One thing about this book, because it's about traditional Wicca, BTW, British traditional Wicca or British traditional witchcraft, it seems like Wicca has sort of been the, the whipping boy or the whipping girl the last several years. Yeah. Where do you think we are at when it comes to people wanting to be in traditions like BTW? Um, I think that's a really complicated question. You're definitely right that Wicca is not the cool thing anymore. I think maybe, I think increasingly we're getting over it just because we've got some of the cool kids on our side now. I'm thinking about folks like Matt Oren and right, and I've got some, some allies on Tumblr who think I'm cool even though they're in trad witch communities. Um, but I think a lot of it is First of all, there's this idea that because Wicca has been the dominant form of witchcraft for decades, there's legitimate concern that it silences other traditions. I think that's 100% true. Um, People assume that Wicca is all there is, and then other people don't get to speak and contribute. And that's definitely bullshit, okay? Um, But the backlash has been that people turn around and say, oh, well, Wicca is fluffy, it's not really witchcraft, it's witchcrafty clawed, right? That's my favorite expression that I still toss around. Somebody said that to me on Reddit, I think it was. Um, And I think that has to do with insecurity 
and concern over authenticity, right? Like what people say is that, well, it's not really, it's not really witchcraft because, oh, it was invented by this, you know, this terrible, like, kinky dude gardener who was just out to abuse people, or, oh, it's heteronormative, it's, it's homophobic, right? Like the things that people have said to me about my religious community, um, and some of it's been really shocking. Like there's definitely, there's definitely truth in many of these places, um, but I think it overlooks a lot of the work that we've done in the last like 20 years. Yeah, if you look at Wicca in the 1950s, then hell yeah, it's homophobic and it's like it's got all kinds of problems. But it's 2018, you know, and like the covens that I'm hanging out with, we're run by people in their 30s who are progressive and interested in social justice and are allies and you know I, I think people discount that. Well, I can't even imagine BTW being homophobic since almost all the male witches I know in BTW are gay. I mean, it's true oh, yeah. here and it's just it it completely blows that myth out of the water. Mhm. And just bothers me so much when I hear that over and over. I like being told that um, Wiccans don't ever practice baneful magic. Like we're <laughs> we're really obsessed with making sure that we're all love and light and like squishy unicorns so we don't do things like cursing and hexing and whatever. A Wiccan would never do that. And that's just like that's just objectively wrong. I wonder where people are getting that information. I mean, um, I'm sure part of it is the Wiccan read was pushed in our faces so hard in the 80s and 90s. By people who weren't initiates. For the most part, yeah. <laughs> and the read was always a suggestion. Mm-hmm. It's like the Pirate's Code. It's really it's more... More of a guideline. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and I do find people ask me all the time whether or not I abide by the read and the threefold law. And what I tell them is you know, on paper, like historically, I understand that these things are not an inherent part of my tradition and what I do. Um, you know, I, I hesitate to say yes because what that person is really asking me is, oh, well, can I respect you? Are you a real witch? That's what they're actually asking. And if I say yes, you know, I think that it's wrong to do harm, they're immediately going to write me off and treat me like an idiot. That's what happens on Reddit, right? That's what happens on Tumblr and Instagram. So you're not an asshole, so I don't like you? Yeah. Um, but in practice, in my actual life, regardless of whether or not I follow something that people call the Wiccan read, I generally speaking try not to be an asshole. You know, yeah. like I've found in every case it's always been better to go and like confront the person physically or verbally rather than hex them. Like it's always been more effective. <laughs> um, you know, I just... I don't think that that makes me weak just because I think that, hey, maybe it's wrong to like kill toads for magical things or like <laughs> maybe we shouldn't torture animals or like I don't know how do you get like, your toad bone your neighbor if you, or if you don't do that though I mean you're not really a witch without that toad I guess bone. not right if I don't have like a bunch of illegally acquired animal parts like adorning my Instagram altar I must not be real <laughs> <laughs> but what have you um, and I think like what I've experienced is that when it comes right down to it, traditional witches and Wiccans have a ton of shit in common, and I really feel like we'd make much better allies. Um, yes. So. We're both serious about our crafts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think we come from the same streams of historical ideas and thoughts. I think so, too. I mean, um, I, I read, you and I both read all those authors, and we appreciate yeah. some, some of them. Sure. Yeah. 
I don't like it when the first chapter is why Wicca is stupid, and then they proceed to break down their own ritual structure, and surprise, it's Wicca. I mean, half these books are just making fun of Wicca for right. 50 pages. Oh, and then I also do this other thing for 10 pages. Yeah. The skull. Yeah. I love you. I love you all. Don't do this to us. Yeah. We, we should be friends. So, but what have you? Um, it's kind of neither here nor there. But I think I think a lot of the backlash is kind of dying out, um, just because I think people are realizing that, like, we're not thirteen-year-old girls in 1997, and you can't push us around anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot of misogyny in those movements too. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that when I get on Tumblr and Reddit and I go to the witchcraft boards, the traditional witches who are the angriest are very frequently males under the age of 25 with a chip on their shoulder. There's a lot of misogyny in their depictions of female deities, this idea of like the Red Woman and the Whore of Babylon, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying those things are invalid, but it's really bizarre, like getting on this forum with a whole bunch of men of one stripe or another telling me that my goddess is weak because she loves like, what kind of message does that send? Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that we see so few women in these spaces. Yeah, just, just Gemma Gary. Yeah. I don't think she's in those spaces either. She writes no. books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it kind of weirds me out. Like, I feel like there's a connection there between gender, misogyny, and, like, I don't, I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable, but somebody needs to do research. I always love the <laughs> podcast because people will say things that they would not write on the podcast. Oh, and yeah. You, I'd never yeah, write those. Yeah. <laughs> and you've made this observation to me for the last two or three years oh, off yeah. the record. And I find it fascinating because like, I've never found anything that suggests it's wrong. I actually wrote a paper about this and presented it at um, in the Pagan Studies Group at the American Academy of Religion in, uh, where were we? Atlanta, I think, a few years ago. And uh, anyway, this wasn't the focus of that paper, and obviously I did it under my scholarly mundane name. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of people in the audience who were like, huh, I never thought of it that way. I was like, yep, this is totally a thing. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence. The, some of the language that we use to talk about these female deities and spirits, the people who are doing the talking, the fact that the authors are male, and they're really pissed off about like goddess-worshipping Wiccans and their love and light. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the love and light thing is really important to me because I do all of my rituals outside in the sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true at all. That's not true. I was con- I believed him for a second, though. Yeah, Podcast it explains friend. the nice tan. It explains the tan, really. That's yeah. That's what we're about. And your golden locks. It's true. Well, yeah. you need to be bleached by the sun periodically. Yeah. Better than bleached by the bottle. Yeah. So. So we're talking about you, you writing your book, and one of the things, Thorne has been staying with Ari and I for a couple of days, and one of the things that has most surprised me and impressed me and bewildered me all at the same time is your love of writing with a pen. <laughs> Dear God, you guys, her handwriting, it's immaculate, and I'm horrified. Yeah. So my kids, I'm a high school teacher, and my kids call me Thomas Jefferson, which makes me really uncomfortable because I teach at a black school, and they're not calling me Thomas Jefferson because they necessarily know a ton about Thomas Jefferson because the school system has failed them, but that's a different podcast. They're calling me that because of my handwriting, and that's like the first colonial-sounding name they can think of. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, my handwriting is definitely a distinct thing about me. I'm obsessed with pens. I'm an avid fountain pen user. And actually, traditional Wicca was written entirely by hand and then transcribed. That is what I find most fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I sit in front of my keyboard and write, and you know, I delete the same sentence nine times before I move on to the sentence being done. Mm-hmm. And you don't even cross things out. I kind of formulate things in my head first. If I feel like I'm going to need some structure or some talking points, I'll use post-it notes. Um, but yeah, I sit down and it kind of comes out. I sort of get in a zone. I think of writing as a devotional practice, and it's actually kind of ecstatic sometimes. Like, I space out and kind of forget where I am, and I forget to eat, and then, like, behold, there are these words. You're like the Madame Blavatsky of Wicca. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to keep that. Can I be that guy? She's been called the Madame Blavatsky of Wicca. I'm going to put that on the back of my next book. Yes. Find out all you need to from Thorne Mooney and more. Yes, my ascended masters. Yes. So we're going to pause for a little second in the show because we're going to eat some food. And then you won't even know this because, you know, we're doing the show live or whatever it is. Thank you. But that's what's going to happen. So uh, hang tight. All right, we have chicken fingers, so we're back to talking again. You didn't even notice the pause because these shows just run seamlessly together. Mm -hmm. It just is what it is. So we're talking about your love of pens and and writing. Yes. (laughs) Which still is amazing to me. What's what's the most you've ever spent on a pen? (laughs) It's so embarrassing. Um, That's why I asked. Just probably around $500. What makes a $500 pen worth $500? Um, well, in this case, it was, um, it, was, it was a particular kind of flex nib pen. So it's a special kind of nib that allows for um, some variation in line thickness, basically. And you don't see a ton of flexes floating around anymore. A lot of them are vintage. Um, this was a gold nib, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyway, like, it has to do with where it's from, what it's made out of, how much gold is involved. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, when Trump breaks the world, though, you're still going to be able to communicate. And Ari and I are are not going to be able to communicate. Well, when you think about it, so as again, I'm I'm a high school teacher. And again, the one of the things that's weird is to think that people can't read our founding documents because they don't read cursive or they're not familiar with various kinds of handwritten scripts and they struggle to read. Um, even some of my fellow teachers, a lot of them are in their early 20s, and, like, I have to be very careful about how I print memos and that kind of thing, because they can't read a lot of my handwriting. We don't even teach cursive in schools anymore, right? We don't teach writing at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let alone cursive. How do people take notes? They don't. How do they learn things? They don't, but they get passed through, and nobody really cares, and then we wonder why people can't do things. America. Oh, well. Yeah, it was fun while it lasted. That could be our new slogan. Well, you'll have that. America. It was fun while it lasted. <laughs> so, oh. yeah. I'm just... You fill up notebook after notebook after notebook. In 40 years, are people going to be buying reproductions of your notebooks? If, for those of you who don't know... Like the Alexander's? There's an Alexander's <laughs> reproduction through Hellfire Books. Mm-hmm. And it's one of his journals, and it's... It's beautiful. Are, are they going to be doing that for you? Um, well, if they do, I desperately hope that it's the journal I was keeping covered in duct tape when I was 14, where I had that solid month where I referred to my period as my moon time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
I I don't know. I, I love that idea. Um, I hope I'm dead. You know, when this comes to pass. Um, Not me. <laughs> I want to see the roast. <laughs> I got a pretty good sense of self. We're gonna be like 97. Know. Welcome to the Thorn Mooney roast. You know. Yeah. We're, right. we're quoting her book. My moon time. Her moon time. Yes. It is. It's important. Moon time. Thank you. Thank you. All good. Can I get some ranch? Ranch. Anything else? May I have some water, please? Okay. Thank yeah. you. You good? I'm awesome. That's, this is Laramie awesome. on my podcast today. Yay! Laramie is awesome. Oh, hey guys. <laughs> yep, she takes great care of me. That's why I'm well fed. Yep, I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, I. I write with I write with the knowledge that these things could be read at some point, and it's part of what I what I do. I mean, I'm an introspective writer. It helps me process things, but also I think of myself as a record keeper. Um, a lot of what we know about I mean, Jesus Christ, back to the Tradwich people. Like everything that you see on Tumblr is based on Robert Cochran's terrible fake letters, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like if people didn't do stuff like that by hand. We wouldn't have anything. Um, fake letters. Why do you say they're fake? I don't. It's not. It's not. I think that people ascribe more meaning to them than that we can we can reasonably say is there. Awesome. Yeah, that's probably true. Because it's I mean. so little we have. Right. I mean, I think I think they were concocted. In. What if they were cockroaches? Concocrenated. Yes. I think that they were concocrenated to meet particular ends, which is not to say that they're not useful and not valuable. um, But I think there are a lot of people these days who think that they're Andrew Chumley, right? Like they they space out and they write a lot of incoherent stuff and they pretend that it's from spirits or something, and really it's just a lot of like dude pretentiousness. (laughs) So So much bravery on this podcast. It's gonna be passed around and. We're gonna be vilified. Oh, I, I just, I don't know. I get a little sick of dudes telling me what witchcraft is or isn't. It's, the last few years, I feel like there's been an awful lot of that, and I'm over it. <laughs> not a fan of witch splaining. No, I'm favorite. not. I'm not a fan. Neither here nor there. But I was at a festival once, and they had these little party suites, and I'm going around, and I think it was a Star Weekend. And someone proceeded to tell me the spiritual significance of Ostara <coughs> and about it. I was with Ari and our friend uh, Dodie Graham McKay from Canada, and we just laughed so hard. Yeah. I mean, I had cider coming out of my nose. Thank you so much for your wise instruction that, about the ancient holiday of Ostara. Something like that happens to me almost every festival or event I go to. Um, at Free Spirit Gathering a few years ago, there was a woman who um, ended up sharing a bunk in our cabin. And before even introducing herself or like asking our names or anything, she immediately offered to like teach us the craft. And she's an older woman, and I think she assumed because like we were younger that we must not know anything or we must be new here. Um, like that happens a lot. Um, and I've gotten it. I've gotten it from older people. I've gotten it from men looking for like single high priestess acolyte whatever blah 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 um but it happens everywhere either because i'm a girl or because i'm young or i don't know it happens to me but i think it's because of the clueless blank expression on my face that's probably true yeah that's probably true wow this guy's an idiot (laughs) (laughs) you know 
Well, he talks about his cider and scotch. This guy's obviously not with it at all. Sure. Well, and I think, like, I'm also not super outspoken, like, just hanging out in space that isn't mine. Like, obviously, I'm running my mouth really hard right now, and I'll probably regret this later. But it's easy when you're writing a blog or on a podcast or whatever. But when I go to an event, particularly as an attendee, I shut up and I listen. I'm not running my mouth about, like, how much I know about witchcraft and how much experience I have. I hate people that do that. Well, they're not there to listen to that. No, they're not yeah. there to listen to me. I'm there to learn from them. Yeah. So when somebody comes into my, my cabin and starts going on about their expertise, I'm going to nod my head and go, huh, interesting. Yeah. And I'm going to hoard whatever information it is that they Tell give me. Tell me more about that. Yeah. And then I'm going to, you know, laugh about them later to my friends. <laughs> so, sometimes on the internet, like right now. What kind of animal skull is on your altar? Please right. let me know. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. So, you know, I probably should come back more to the book. Sure. One of the, now that everybody hates me. I'm yeah, now it. that you've all tuned out, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we're going to go back to the book. Traditional Wicca, A Seeker's Guide, was released in July of 2018 by Llewellyn Worldwide. Mm-hmm. Yes. Raymond Buckland writes the introduction to your book. Well, he wrote a blurb. It he, wasn't like an introduction. He didn't write the introduction. He wrote a blurb. No, he, so. wrote, he wrote a paragraph saying nice things to me um, and sent me an email. And then he died. <laughs> this is why I'm not ever going to blurb one of your books. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who reads this will die. Yeah. What was it like having Ray Buckland say nice things about your book? Weird. It was super surreal. Yeah. Um, well, you, you don't even really think about like big-name pagans, and especially the pagan authors who I grew up with. Like You don't think of them as people. You think of them as, like, ascended masters, or, like, if not that, then at least people who are so distant and old that they're untouchable, um, or far away, right? Like, so... Wiccan Mahatmas. <laughs> the fact that, like, Ray Buckland has an email address, I don't know, like, that just was weird. What was his email address? Well, I can't give that to you. That would be... He's dead. Well, that's... I don't know, like... <laughs> it's probably, like, Ray Buckland at witchcraft museum I just wanted to know if it was cool sounding no. or if it was Ray Buckland no. at AOL.com it was something, something yeah something like that he wanted to know why I didn't put his big blue book in my recommended reading section though like how do you tell Ray Buckland that his book aged poorly you don't you don't <laughs> you do what I did which was pretend I didn't see the email <laughs> always always a safe call there I think <laughs> um so, whoops. <laughs> As your profile has risen over the last three years, uh, has there been any other surreal moments with famous pagany people? Oh, my God. So, I am the biggest fangirl in the world. Like, I, in my heart, I'm still 14. It's still, like, 1999. And... I think this whole landscape is magical, and I'm bewildered that anybody lets me roam it freely. Uh, so the Internet lets you get closer to people. Um, Christopher Penzak tweeted at me the other day, and I still, like, lose my shit. I've met this man face-to-face. -face. Like, he's a person. Like, we have mutual friends, and I'm still just like, oh, my God, he's talking to me. And I do the same thing. Um, I was at Free Spirit Gathering a few weeks ago, and a mutual friend of Silver Ravenwolf showed up and had a gift for me and it was a, her newest book and it was signed and she had written a personal note to me and I just like I literally ran away screaming <laughs> like 
these are just people who I admired so much when I was younger who had such an impact on me. Thank you. And still impact me now. Um, who else? Uh, I got to spend a lot of time chatting with Raveny and uh, Raveny, Raveny Gramasi, Raven and Stephanie Gramasi. Raveny. That's so Raveny. That is so Raveny. Um, I got a, I got to spend a lot of time chatting with them a couple of years ago at a festival, and then they came to our local Pagan Pride Day, and so I've met them a few times, and I'm always still bewildered that they talk to me like a peer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's. It's all wild. It's a little weird that I'm like sitting here with you too. I mean, I know we're friends, but you're still like, like you're a pagan author, like big name pagan, whatever, Pathios, whatever. I remember when you contacted me on Twitter and we're like, hey, do you want to blog for Pathios? And like, that was really rad. You were the first person that I signed up at Pathios Pagan. Yeah? Yeah. You were like, I was like so proud. Oh. I was like, she's going to change the world. Well, I'm the reason why the contract says that you can't swear in the title anymore. No, it wasn't just right? that. It wasn't just that? No, it's uh, it's because of Google AdSense. Oh. They don't monetize pages with, <laughs> with lots of... With, yes, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. They don't really care. Okay. Despite what, you know, a few of my critics think. They don't really care. Okay. Yeah, I cuss in there all the time. Oh, I cuss all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I like... I think I think putting the word shit into things just adds a point of emphasis sometimes, sure. you know? <laughs> like, wow, he's serious. <laughs> he said a word everyone says every day. <laughs> serious AF. Serious, yeah, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, like, it's all pretty surreal. It's weird to see my book on shelves. It's weird that, I mean, I did my first book talk. You were there, right? Like, two nights ago. And was I? Yeah, it you was. You were there. You orchestrated this thing. <laughs> and... Like, that was really weird, having people look at me and listening to what I was saying, and I don't know. And then when people were asking questions, they asked questions that were kind of personal. Like, they didn't just want to know about my craft and about traditional look. They wanted to know about me and how I got there, and I just thought that was really, like, fascinating and flattering. And Well, your book yeah. is called The Seeker's Guide. Yeah. So I do think that people are interested in what your seeking was like. Yeah. Speaking of what your seeking was like, how did you end up in Gardnerian witchcraft? <laughs> um, so this one time I was drunk in Paris, France. <laughs> and That's how all good stories yeah, begin. Right? This is like, this is kind of like what happened to Hemingway, right? <laughs> um, uh-huh. when, when I began exploring Wicca as a teenager. I was really interested in traditional Wicca, and it was a lot, largely because I had all of those Time Life books with those gorgeous pictures of like Janet Farrar and Maxine Sanders and Pat Crowther, and it was just like so otherworldly and beautiful, and I wanted a piece of that. Um, but I didn't think any of those things were still available. Like, I would go to Walden Books, and I'd buy Silver Ravenwolf and Scott Cunningham, which I loved, um, and continue to love, but very clearly different things. Um, and all of those books mention Gardnerians, but most of them do it in kind of the past tense. Like, oh, well, when Wicca used to be like this. Um, or else they'd say things like, well, you'll never find Gardnerians and Alexandrians because they don't, they don't talk to anybody. So I kind of just didn't think about it. And then I grew up, became an adult. A whole lot of stuff happened in my life. Um, my young adulthood was super tempestuous and traumatic. And... Um, I ended up in an abusive relationship, I was self-injuring, I was depressed, all this other stuff, and I was in graduate school at the same time, which, as anybody in graduate school will tell you, is by itself enough to make you crazy. 
Um, I was studying, doing grad stuff in Paris, and it's like I kind of just had this mental break where I realized that I was alone for the first time, like in in years, and I had all this power, and I could kind of do what I wanted, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to find me some Gardnerians, <laughs> finally. Um, and I got on Witchbox, and there had been lots of times I'd done this, of course, but so I'm talking to Thorne Mooney today about her new book, Traditional Wicca, A Seeker's Guide, at my local pub, which means get interrupted quite frequently. So, you know, this is another weird little break I don't that we even had to take. I don't really even remember what we were talking about, but you, you ran off to, to do important things, and I was, I was sitting here thinking, man, like, I sound like I'm being really disparaging, and I should shut up, because I get brave sometimes when I have alcohol and I'm out in public and we're talking about witch stuff. Um... So, I don't know, I just... I... I can't talk, I have food in my mouth. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of like fumbling because I don't quite know what I want to say, but uh, I, think, I think traditional witchcraft is really cool and really fascinating, okay? I just don't always understand why there's so much, like, venom between our communities. Yeah, I think we share so much. I think we share a lot. Um, and anyway, I get frustrated sometimes, particularly when the gender stuff gets involved, just because I think so many people come to witchcraft because they're marginalized for one reason or another. Um, and then and we I w- choose to marginalize and another then we, group. Yeah, and then we just choose to marginalize other groups or we're mean to each other. Or I just, I don't know. I wish we could all just get along, Jason. Thank you. Yeah, well, yeah. we were talking about your seeking. It's what we were talking about. We were. Before the last, in, you know, break. Oh, yeah, I was drunk in Paris. You were drunk in Paris. That's right, and I found Gardnerians on Witchbox, and there hadn't been Gardnerians on Witchbox anywhere near me before, and they had an ad that said that they weren't taking new people, which I learned was Gardnerian code for we're only taking the right people. So I sent an email that was like, you should take me, I'm awesome, basically. Even though I really didn't believe those things about myself. <laughs> you weren't lying. You just didn't know better at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think they were surprised by how forthright I was. I sent them this long email that was like, Dear Sir or Madam, <laughs> these are all of my emotional problems, but I've read Dorian Valiente. Please let me in. Basically. So. Yeah, you can't say it at our house. <laughs> Sorry, my wife is showing me pictures of my brother-in-law with a flamingo shirt on, and he thinks he's going to stay at our house soon. The answer to that will be no. Yeah, but look at how he looks like Devin Hunter. He does look like Devin Hunter. kind of looks like a younger Devin Hunter. Um, so you emailed it. I already know that I like Devin Hunter better than that guy. <laughs> <laughs> or as I call him, D-Hunt. D-Hunt? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah the C pen. Yeah, she calls Christopher Penzak C pen. And I have for years mm-hmm. in my head, but I forget and then I say it out loud in front of other pagans and they go, C pen, yeah. <laughs> so Christopher Penzak, I'm very sorry if in a few short years you are known by everyone as C pen. I didn't mean to. Yeah. <laughs> you're T you're T Moon. I am T Moon. Yeah. J Man. J Man. Nah. Yeah. D Hunt. D Hunt. Yeah. We have way too much time. So what was the response that you got from these individuals? They said, um, 
I remember the high priestess said, oh, that was a lovely email. And then um, she said that we would chat when I got back from Paris. And we did. We had lots of back and forth emails. And that proceeded to phone calls. And that proceeded to meetings in public places. And then um, being invited to outer court. So. How long did all that take? It sounds exhausting. Uh, actually, my experience was unusually short. Um, I think just in my just in my encounters with other traditional Wiccans, um, I really didn't have um, a lengthy outer court, just because the folks who initiated me have they've been doing this for decades, and I think they were just kind of like over running an inner court and an outer court. It's really exhausting, like functionally running two covens. And once they decided that they were cool with somebody, they tried to go ahead and bring them in. Um, so I was brought in very quickly, but I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily typical. No, I don't think so either. But it worked out for you. It worked out for me. Which is why you're here now, so that was great. It is, right? If it hadn't been for that drunken email in Paris, I would not be at this Irish pub with D-Man right now. J-Man. Oh, damn my name is not Devin Mankey. <laughs> I was thinking about Devin. Sorry. Yeah, everyone thinks Amen. about Devin all the time, apparently. <laughs> I love him so. Well, I do too. He's really cool. All those guys are really cool. I, I do love the boys, as mm-hmm. we call them at our house. Yeah. So once you got involved, what were your studies like? Or you can either confirm nor deny that you studied. I can neither confirm nor deny many things. Um, I will say that it was very internal and it was very experiential. I was not made to do things like read books and write papers. And a lot of that was because, at least with the, with the book thing, like, I mean, I'd been practicing Wicca for years at that point. I'd been entrenched. I'd read everything. That was fine. Um, but I had to, I had to learn the tradition. I had to come to know our gods and that was where my focus was. And you're not going to get that by writing a paper or reading a book. Really? I hope it comes from reading my books. <laughs> Except for Jason Mankey's books. It will come from that. It won't come from mm-hmm. that, really. Yeah, if you mail away to that P.O. box that's in Llewellyn Books, um, they'll send you an initiation in the J-Man tradition. Yes, if, if anyone mm-hmm. actually does send in a letter to Llewellyn <laughs> to me, because that doesn't happen anymore, I will, I promise, send you an initiation. Certificate. <laughs> uh, I have extra initiation rituals written when yeah. I need them. That's what Here I do. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. might be the one in my next book, but, cool. you know, but I'll send it to you. <laughs> you know, I'll hand sign it or not because it just devalues the book. Well, then you could be in, you could be Lady Sheba instead of me then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lord Sheba. Lord Sheba? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lord Sheba's? Lord Sheba's. Lord Chivas? Yeah. So what, what do you think the biggest misconception people have about traditional Wicca? Um, I don't know about, like, any big, like, singular misconception. I do think that some of the more saddening ones relate to um, hierarchy to me. Um, I run into this attitude, not just with traditional Wicca, but with coven-based witchcraft broadly, that if you're part of a coven... It inherently means that you're subject to somebody who bosses you around and keeps you somehow from being who you are. Uh, I think that's an attitude that a lot of people have about witchcraft groups of any variety. When you do it in groups, it must be because you are somehow like some simpering peon who needs to like respond to 
what some poobah is telling you to do. Um, and because so many traditional Wiccan traditions are, um, that was redundant on some level, I'm sure, um, are hierarchical, and there's a degree system in place, I think those kinds of misconceptions are particularly sticky. Um, but I think what people don't understand is that like that hierarchy is not in place to keep people below you. It's hierarchical in the same way that any kind of training environment is hierarchical. I mean, as a classroom teacher, my classroom is hierarchical. They are my students. I possess knowledge and experience that they don't have, but I'm failing as a teacher if I keep them there forever. I want to give them the thing and then pass them on to the next grade. When I bring somebody into my coven, it's not because I want a congregation of first degrees, it's because I see the potential in this person to be a group leader maybe, or to be a priestess, priestess in their own right. I give them whatever knowledge it is that I have, I help them, and then I send them on their way. I don't keep them. So, There is a writer at Patheos who writes a lot about covenant politics, and one of the things that she sometimes writes about is, you know, a covenant's bill of rights and councils and and all of that and then I know an atheist pagan who writes that you know we need we need practices without leaders and to me you're always going to have a leader right no matter what happens even if you don't have leaders there's always somebody who's going to be doing this stuff right and we're supposed to abolish governments too because there's never an instance where we get the strong people with weapons just bullying the people without right like the the point of 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 leadership is to is to regulate those kinds of things. And you could do something, you could have a non-hierarchical coven, but you're still going to have people setting themselves up as leaders. You're still going to have people who are more vocal or more charismatic or just better at taking control. You don't have to officially give them titles. And I think people don't see that happening. And I think a lot of the time when people call for situations like that, they don't realize that like they're the ones occupying those leadership roles. Right? Yeah. Like sure they don't want leaders as long as they're the people getting listened to if you can depose all the leaders then obviously you're the one doing the leading right so i mean it's really easy to screw hierarchy up and it's really easy to do leadership poorly but the problem is not that structure by itself is inherently bad right like it's a skill like anything else um it can be used for good and it can be used for evil sure yeah. So you think that the structure is the biggest sort of stumbling block for a lot of people? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, and it makes sense. I think especially people come to witchcraft because um, a lot of people have baggage from their milk religions and they don't want anything that reeks of that. Um, and that includes various kinds of authority figures. And I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, and that's what people need and that's great but there are a lot of other people who really do well in those structured environments. I was one of them. Um, the people in Foxfire respond really well to structure, and we're not for everyone, and that's fine. But to say that it's all bad, that, like, that's just silly. Step too far. Yes. How, do you, how do you feel when people say, oh, you're a Wiccan, you're not a witch? I find that kind of bewildering. Um, it's really common now, though. It I is really it common. all the time. I'm told with great frequency that I'm not a witch. Um, Mostly all that tells me is that they have a different definition than I do. And I do think it's important to remember that 
nobody owns the word. Like, I don't have a copyright on the word witch. Wiccans don't. Pagans don't. Anybody gets to use it. Um, I just published a blog on Patheos this morning about this phenomenon that kind of is collectively being called aesthetic witchcraft, where we're sort of wondering if it's pagan, is it really witchcraft, what is it? But fundamentally, the point is that here are people using the word witch differently than how we've been using it, and that has to be okay, because we don't own that word. It has like a thousand definitions. That's the thing about it. My Somebody using the word doesn't stop you from using it. Right. So if you want to tell me that because I'm Wiccan, I'm not a witch, well, I can't do anything about that. That's okay. Um, and ultimately, you're not coming into my circles, so, like, who cares? And you don't know, then, if you're not coming into her circles. Right. Um, I think it's a little bit strange, um, but ultimately, it, it doesn't have a lot of impact on me when I go home. It's just sort of a bizarre thing I run into in particular corners of the Internet. Fair answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Cool. So. I know it's something. It's it sort of bothers me sometimes uh, because I mean I don't claim ownership of the word and I would never mm-hmm. claim ownership of the word, but by saying who, by these people saying who is and who's not, then they are claiming ownership of the word. Oh yeah. And I don't think they realize that sometimes. Yeah. And again, like. I know I already apologized for doing this, but here I go again. <laughs> Every time I've been told that I'm not a witch, it's by a man in his early 20s who practices traditional witchcraft and thinks that I'm, like, a fluffy piece of shit. Those are the people telling me that I'm not a witch. Um, and, like, okay, cool. Like, see you on Reddit later. Yeah. (laughs) So, I don't know. What do you think would surprise people the most about your practice? Other than the pens. Other than my pens. Um, oh no, um, I've been told that people are, people tell me that they're surprised by how nice I am and by like how inclusive I try to be. I think as a gardenerian, like we still have a reputation as being, you know, really elitist and stuffy and stuck up and like those that reputation 100% comes from a place. <laughs> like, we've been there. That's fair. Not un- nope, that's, unfounded. That is not degree. unfounded. Um, so I think people are often surprised that I go out of my way to be encouraging about other kinds of witchcraft, and especially other kinds of Wicca. I don't think everybody needs to be initiated into my tradition. God, that, how much work is that? Like, I don't want to do that no. much work. Oh, my gosh. Um, and it's not for everybody, and that's not because, like, we're so great and you have to be amazing. It's because everybody is different and everybody needs different things. Um, so people are often surprised that I'm actually not this elitist that they think I'm going to be. Um, yeah, I mean, when it comes right down to it, Gardnerian Wicca, traditional Wicca, Alexandria, like all of us, we're pretty eclectic. Like our our sources are all over the place. Our experiences are all over the place. Individual tradition, individual covens are different. Like, we're, there is no singular tradition that remains pure and untouched through the ages. And like, we should all stop pretending there is. Well, I mean, there is one. There is my tradition, which goes back in an unbroken chain. That's true. To the earliest shamans twelve thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. With those cave paintings. Those cave paintings. It's mm-hmm. all me. Cave. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, people are surprised that insofar, like, I can definitely be a jerk, and I, can, I definitely have a mouth on me, 
But no. I'm not I'm not I'm not an elitist about tradition. I think I think the variety again, even though I know I've done some complaining on this episode, I I love the variety that's present in our communities. I love that there's so many kinds of witches and witchcraft out in the world. Um, even the blog post I made today about the aesthetic witchcraft stuff, like, you know what? Worst case scenario, like, my home decor and my wardrobe have benefited enormously because now I can go to Target and Hot Topic and buy, like, pentagram shirts, and I'm always on board with that. So are you cool? I know some people get really bent out of shape about that. Like, when they go, my wife shops at Anthropology and Free People, and these were kind of trendy clothing stores, and they're selling $20 smudge sticks or, or bundles, your choice, of mm-hmm. what you use. <laughs> And there are a lot of people who are sincerely offended by all this. I'm not offended. Um, as as somebody with a background in religious studies and like the like the scholarly study of religion, um, I think it's interesting, and I want to write about it, and I want to talk to these people, and I want to document like how this thing arises and what we should do with it. But as a practitioner, like I don't feel like it really has anything to do with me. If it leads people in a direction that makes the world a better place, I'm on board for the most part. Um, some of it I'm definitely bewildered by, like I don't understand, um, but, you know, maybe it's it's not for me, I don't need to understand it. Just, I, I'm with you, I don't think it bothers me, I don't think it hurts me, it doesn't hurt anybody else. I don't understand people getting upset about it because we have certainly, the people who are listening to this podcast or read the kind of things that Thorne and I write, you know, we changed the definition of the word in the 1950s. Oh, yeah. It's constantly evolving. You know, Matilda Jocelyn Gage changed the definition of the word in 1901. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always kind of morphing and becoming something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a comment, too, on my Facebook page in response to the blog just a little bit ago um, from somebody who comments on my on my post pretty regularly named Jay. And Jay pointed out that there's a lot of room in here to talk about race too just because when witchcraft communities expand and marginalized peoples have the opportunity to participate in different ways right like pagan communities wiccan communities are really white they're very like overwhelmingly overwhelmingly so and i think definitions of witchcraft are very white and maybe these these other movements, these aesthetic movements, these movements outside of pagan communities are actually opening up to more people of color. Um, it's a way in, in without an old white guy yeah. guarding the gate. Um, and I thought that was a really, really astute and important observation. So that's something to throw in, too. Um, if changing the definition, if broadening things, if having other pathways into the practice of witchcraft, whatever that looks like, makes things less white like I'm on board with that 100% so that was a really good point I wanted to bring up I thought you were talking about the, that Jay person who said something about your books not being as good as Lisa Chamberlain no that was you I know you said that I know I couldn't <laughs> I've never read a Lisa Chamberlain book for I the have record. I have to be fair I'm not as good as Lisa Chamberlain I'm pretty sure no so Lady Alfia said that uh, she thinks Lisa Chamberlain is a ghost writer, or is a a, a house name, is that what it's called? Yeah. House something something. Yeah, a name. Yeah, Yeah, like the person who, the person, I'm using quotes around the person who wrote the Nancy Drew books. There wasn't one person who wrote the Nancy Drew books, it was a community effort. Yeah, I don't think Lisa Chamberlain is a person. Yeah. 
Um, you know, that's a fascinating thing, too, because, you know, as we were talking about this, these are people who are at the top of Amazon bestseller lists, and their books are in all kinds of different places, and yet they don't really interact with our community in any meaningful way. Yeah, it's really weird. So, like, you can go to Urban Outfitters right now, and you can buy books about witchcraft and Wicca, and none of them are on publishers we're used to seeing. Um, they're not on Llewellyn and Weiser and some of these other, like, occult and new age specialty presses. Um, and they're not written by people who you could go to a, pe- a pagan festival and hear speak. They're not people who are writing for Papios or going to PPDs or interacting with our communities. And these are the people who right now are speaking the loudest about who we are. And like that to me is really strange and fascinating. And it's weird to me be- that they speak the loudest with me never hearing them. I mean, I go to, like, a metaphysical store and, and not a witch shop, and then there's this book here by this person I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think, as my wife said, who is this person? Because we, like, know everybody. I mean, yeah. it's not a big world, and they're outside of our world. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you don't see them, like, on Facebook or on our Twitter feeds and stuff. It's like a whole other sphere of something. Sure. Um, well, and then when you go to their personal websites, they're not writing as witches. They're writing as, like, entrepreneurs, women business owners, um, you know, loving your lady power kind of stuff. Like, they're not... Their idea of what a witch is is, is not rooted in, like, contemporary paganism or the New Age. Like, they're coming from a very different perspective. Um, and what's fascinating to me is now when I'm when I'm hanging out on social media... I get people now who will message me and ask me questions about witchcraft, and they've got sincere interests and sincere questions, and they're reading Lisa Lister and Lisa Chamberlain and whoever, and they don't know who Scott Cunningham is, and they don't know who, um, you know, let alone Valiente or Gardner or any of those folks. They don't know the people who were big in the 90s and 2000s. And that's, like, I don't know how to wrestle with that, so I kind of feel old, right? Like when my my 10th graders don't know who Kurt Cobain is. Like, that's sort of how I'm feeling right now with books. <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe that's just how things are going. Did you want to borrow my Jack Braceland Gerald Gardner biography? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm reading this book by uh, Doreen Valiente. Mm-hmm. She was there from, like, the beginning of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know, we are quoting the brilliant movie Dark of Moon <laughs> by Taliesin Gavanan. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. It is a movie. Jason is remaining on the fence because he's wrong. I I think it's <laughs> fascinating that someone in our community made a movie. I think it's fascinating that, like, you and I get the references to things like Jack Braceland, even though nobody owns a copy of Braceland, you can't just borrow it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. If you have... That's why the movie is so amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's familiar in a way that most witch and pagan movies are not, mm-hmm. which I kind of like. Yeah. So it's no, no love witch, but you know. It, it's, oh my God, the love witch. You've seen the so love good. witch. Of course, I've seen the love witch. I love the love witch. I love love. <laughs> I love love. I want that psychedelic coat that makes men die. Oh I my want. God, yes. <laughs> 
I want like her pentacle rug and oh my um, god, and yeah, that weird like Kabbalistic altar. Yeah, and the director, whole apartment. the director and writer yeah. of the film made a lot of this stuff. I know, man, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that movie. If you haven't seen it, the you should. Love Witch. Uh, yeah. It has that weird 60s stilted type of acting in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and her makeup. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. So, The Love Witch. Not to be confused with Veronica Varlow, The Love Witch. Her retreats are $2,200. Yeah. I know. I mean, I'll admit it. You know, like when I see a witch group and it's like $300 for a thing, I'm like shitting my pants, you know? <laughs> because it's just... I mean, I'm used to being... When I was in the Midwest, you know, going to Starwood or Sirius Rising or whatever the festival was for 150 bucks. Yeah. For a week. Yeah. You had to feed yourself, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but like $2,200. Yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of why I was I wanted to write because I had a friend who who went, um, and she was raving about it. She had this amazing time and she wanted to know if I knew who Veronica Varlow was and she was interested in witchcraft now and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, this is the point where I was really realizing, oh my God, there's this whole witch movement that is different from my movement and I have no idea what to do with it. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know, I don't get these references, I'm not reading these books, I don't know who these women are, like, and it's not something that I relate to. Um, and some people on Facebook were suggesting it's generational, but I don't think that's necessarily I don't true. Think that's these, true. These people are my age. Just not to mention, if you have to spend $2,200 to go to something, they're not 19-year-olds going to these things. Oh, no, no. These are women in their 30s and 40s yeah. and 50s, 60s, probably. Yeah. Like, this is, I think this is more about socioeconomic class than it is about um, generation. Yeah. Um, we're... We're in lower in the socioeconomic class. I, well, we'd have to be, I right? Guess. Yeah. Um. So I don't, I don't know. The, and a lot of these women who are who are doing these kinds of things, they're about my age. I mean, they're in their their mid thirties and a little bit older. I think some of them, maybe a little bit younger. Um. So it's not like it's you know the baby witches. Like these are skilled business women doing their thing. Yeah. And kind of redefining what it is to be a witch, mm-hmm. in a way, while the rest of us are oblivious to it happening. Well, it's because we haven't left this bar. I, I <laughs> haven't left this bar in three days. Well, we can't poop in your house. Yeah. <laughs> we have to edit that out. Do we? No. <laughs> yeah, we're having some issues at my house. Let's, let's just say that. <laughs> hasn't, been, hasn't been fun. Thorn visits, hey... How do you feel about living in a third world house while we're here? <laughs> well, it depends on if you have smudge bundles or not. Herb bundles. Herb bundles. Sorry. That's what you call them when you're not culturally appropriating, even though it's exactly the same thing. It, it, it was a phrase I used in a book, but I respect, I respect people and, you know, their feelings about things. And certainly not a Native American. Right. You know? So... You know, I just, you know, I don't want to be a dick. That's sort of my rule in that's, life. That's that's my rule a, too. Don't be a dick. Yep. You know, and if saying herb bundles makes somebody happier, then that's fine with me. <laughs> don't buy them at Anthropology though. They're twenty dollars. <laughs> buy them at your local store for six ninety five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who were your biggest influences? Like, who's your favorite writer of all time, other than me or yourself? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite witch writer of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could maybe they're outside of that and they just inspired you to go in that direction. 
Well, so, my fa- okay, so like my favorite writer of all time period is Bill Bryson. He's a travel writer, mm-hmm. and he's 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 been a, an, on bestseller list many times. And if you read A Walk in the Woods or saw the really terrible movie, you know who Bill Bryson is. Short history of everything. Yep, he's he's a genius, and I've been reading Bill Bryson. My mother read Bill Bryson to me when I was a kid, and um, I he's a constant voice in my library. Um, his audio books are in my car. Is like I love Bill Bryson. I love his dry humor. I love his just like really wry insight and how he manages to tell stories while also pulling in all of this history. Like he talks about his personal life and his kids and his family, but then he's also educating you about the weirdest shit. So I really love him. Um, And I knew like, man, if I could write even a tiny bit like that, like that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of witchcraft stuff, like I'll always buy anything that Silver Ravenwolf writes. Like, Anything. Yeah, like I don't even care. Um, I'm eating my hair in front of you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I love her. Um, there's there's definitely a nostalgia element. Um, I'm never gonna forget the feelings that I had reading her books when I was a teenager. Um, she went on a really long hiatus, and she's back to publishing books, and that's really exciting for me. Even though her witchcraft doesn't look anything like my witchcraft right now, um, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I still find her style really warm and really Fantastic engaging. Writer. She's an excellent writer, and um, you know, there's plenty of stuff that's different than me, or I don't agree with, or whatever. Like, but that's not the point. Like, her, I find her her books really inspiring and interesting. So, um, she's up there. Who else? Um, I love Christopher Penzak. I've talked a little bit about C-Pen. him. C Pen. C Pen. Um. C-Pen is another one of those writers who has those books that are courses, right? Like his his books um, became the Temple of Witchcraft courses, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a series of them. Um, but it's like everybody has Inner Temple of Witchcraft and everybody pretends to have gone through the book lesson by lesson. Nobody does. Nobody does stuff like that. Um, but I love hanging out on YouTube in January because there's always like a hundred people who are like, this is my New Year's resolution to go through Inner Temple of Witchcraft or to go through Timothy Roderick's like 366 Days of Wicca or whatever. Yeah, I failed that hard. Everybody fails these um, things. Um, hard. But there's so much good stuff in that series and he's such a an engaging writer and he's just such a genuinely nice and down-to-earth person. Great person. Yeah. Um, so I really love his work. I also really appreciate how he pulls in a lot of the stuff that's explicitly hermetic. Um, he doesn't shy away from, hey, like my witchcraft comes from this this esoteric stream mm-hmm. and I'm going to talk openly about it and if you think that it's new age or not relevant to witchcraft, well, you're wrong. Cool. Here it is. Anyway, <laughs> like I really love that just because that's what I'm interested in too. Like I love the high magic mm-hmm. stuff and I love hermeticism and seeing that stuff in an explicitly like witchcraft context is awesome. Um, who else? Those are two faves. Christopher's interesting to me because he's sort of like the last of the sort of 90s writers. Yes. You know, and he's and he was so much younger than everybody else when he wrote those books. I mean, he's mm-hmm. my age, mm-hmm. and now I'm just starting to write books. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in his late 20s, early 30s yes. when things started. You just don't see a whole lot of writers of that age. Well, he's better than we are. He is. He's great. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'm a terrible writer. I admit that. I don't know why anybody <laughs> reads my garbage. I'm, I'm the world's latest bloomer. Like, everything in my life, I've done years after other people have done it. Right? Like, I, I had to go back to college a couple of times. I got my first boyfriend when I was in my 20s. Like, everything I've done late. So... Yeah. Writing is no exception. Writing is no exception. Yeah. I'm just... Christopher's is something else completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're about out of time. I mean, we can go as long as we want because they're always happy for me to take up space. Apparently, people listen to my show. Maybe not after today's episode at the bar, but, <laughs> but they do. I hope it's been fun for everybody out there. Yeah. I really... Tr- Thorne's book really is terrific. I got to read it last summer, and then I heard... Oh, yeah, Ray Buckland is doing one of the blurbs on the book. So I was like, well, there's no reason for me to blurb this. He read my book and then died. I know. We've talked about that earlier. I know, but I'm still not over it. You know, I just sent my book to you to blurb, too, and now I don't know. I thought about, wow, maybe (laughs) Thorne will like it, and I would be honored to have a Thorne Mooney quote on my book. You know, like right on the back cover. That would To me, that would be awesome. Well, he's no sea pen, but I guess it's okay. Thorne Mooney. I, I (laughs) (laughs) I can't have Tempest do it. I mean... You know, that's everyone knows Tem, we're connected at the hip, and we wrote a book together. Right, you guys are like, it's kind of incestuous if you're just blurbing for each other back and forth, it's and true. then and then co-authoring books. It is. It'd be like Oliver, my cat. It's so great. You know what I love about this me? current generation of writers, like you and, and Tempest and mm. the boys, Devin and Storm and Chaz, and uh, lots of other people, is mm-hmm. it's not a competition. It's it's so congenial. Well, I think our audiences are really different, too. Yeah. Like, even if we wanted to compete with each other, like, I'm never going to be able to compete with Storm's, like, bathtub selfies. Oh, my God. Totally no. different audience. No. Got that treasure trail that stops right at the water. <laughs> Just in time. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Why do these people send me penis pictures? I don't know, Storm. <laughs> I love you, man. I do. I love you so much. I, love I just can't com- I can't compete with with a lot of these things. So we yeah, we're not in competition. We're talking to different folks, and I think we complement each other in useful ways. And we're friends, or we're friendly at least. And I think we're friends. I think we're genuinely all friends. Yeah. Maybe I not certainly you. Hope so. We see less of you. Well, I'm not on Facebook, and I don't live in California. Yeah. Then so I'm that makes it harder. But I love you guys. Yeah. You that. I'll come hang out. <laughs> yeah. You know what, and for me, somebody like me is, I want to read the books like that are inspired by the fairy tradition. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. I want to read the traditional Wicked books. I read and everything. I want, yeah, I want that, all of that knowledge and all of that information because it's only going to make what I do better. I was going to say, all of those really expensive books about traditional witchcraft are largely being bought by us Wiccans because <laughs> we're just like, yes, I want to know things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's you why know. I can't afford to go to Veronica Varlow's witch camp because I just the first 50 pages I hate you people right. reading my book right. <laughs> yeah. yeah you made all your stuff up and we don't like you yeah it's mm-hmm. painful it hurts oh well it hurts you know it's okay yeah yay more booze yeah another cider since the first one was interrupted yeah. hard okay. I'm cool. yeah okay. yeah we're friends don't like us we should all make more books we should should like all do like a book together. Oh my god, we should all do a book together. What would it be about? I don't know. I'm right, you're wrong. A book together. Right. <laughs> Contemporary witchcraft. Which tradition is best? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, 
I don't know what I would go with. I'd probably not choose my own just to just to make it more exciting. Uh, I'm a devotional polytheist. Are you? No. no. Well, actually, I am, but I'm told that as a Wiccan, I can't be that. Yes, that's another another yeah. thing. Oh, well. You know, that's another group who often are mean to Wiccans, and at the same time, they do like this amazing work, like looking at the history of deities. Oh and, yeah. You know how their relationships are with them, and I find so much crossover with the things that I do. Oh yeah. And then you know, they don't like me, and I'm well, like, you, you're awesome. Well, maybe it's not. Because you're Wiccan, maybe they just don't like you. There's that. No, it's it's sort of like people telling me that because I'm Wiccan, I'm not a witch. I'm routinely told that because I'm Wiccan, I'm not a polytheist. That's also baffling. But again, take it up with my many many gods. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's one of the reasons I can't recommend Ray's Big Blue Book because he makes the argument that we're not. Well, he's wrong. Use any name that you want. It's all the same thing. Uh, Your friend Doug, you could just. Just call him Michelle because it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't work that no, way. No, that book came out a really long time ago. Yeah. So, as we start to wind down, though we've been trying to wind down for ten minutes now, what is your next book going to be? Oh, Are, my God. Because once you start writing, you got to keep going. Yes. So, I have this picture of you before we go on, since you write all of your books in longhand. I have this picture, like, every two or three years, Thorne is going to come down from her mountaintop that she rides on <laughs> <laughs> with several completed journals that Llewellyn will then turn into a book. Oh, my God. Um, I, I do have another thing in the works. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to have that formalized in the next couple of months. And uh, anyway, I'm afraid I will jinx it if I talk too much about it. But it's kind of a... Um, it's going to be kind of a next level, like, how to witch book, I guess, when, uh, and I want to focus particularly on, like, I want to focus kind of on those lulls, like when you get in funks or when your mm-hmm. your craft kind of isn't shiny anymore. Think about it as, like, grown folks Wicca or, like, Wicca for jaded alcoholics or something yeah. like that, like... That was speaking to my personal experience as well with that topic. Yeah. So anyway, I um, that's that's you know broad brushstroke. Do you but... think that we do get jaded as we go along? Oh yeah, yeah, I definitely do. How do you how do you personally get over that? Um, I get over that by largely going back to the beginning and uh, reconsidering things. Um, that's that's kind of what I've been doing the last year is going back, and I don't just mean. Like, in terms of rereading stuff, I kind of mean actually, like, re-examining the foundations of practice. And that's what I've been doing, and that's what I want to write about right now. So we'll see, we'll see exactly where that goes, but that's how, I, that's how I come face-to-face with my own cynicism and disillusionment. Thorne Mooney, you're, like, my favorite guest on the show. And <laughs> I think for two years in a row, we did, like, our Thanksgiving extravaganza with Thorne Mooney. Yay! It's like, we'll drink wine and, and talk about witches. That'd Yay! Be better. Thorne's new book is called, uh, oh, shit. I'm just going to let him struggle this time. <laughs> I have it at my home. I've read it. This is like my brain. Traditional Wicca. Yeah. A Seeker's Guide. Yeah. It just, it just seems so obvious. Like, it's got to be deeper than mm-hmm. that. Like, you know, like, uh, Beyond the Pentacle, Traditional Wicca. Oh, Seeker's gross. Guide. No. Well, I, the original title was A Seeker's Guide to Traditional Wicca, and then Llewellyn was like, nope. Hey, simplify this. Try having your book called The Five Mysteries of Witchcraft and being told no. 
That's fair. Yeah, we're just gonna name it something else. Yeah. I like the name now. Yeah, I was gonna say that's transformative. Witchcraft is a good name. Yeah. Um. So if people want to find you online, where can they find you online? Um, they can find me at stormthewitch.com. I'm on basically every social media platform except really Facebook. Like, my blog has a Facebook page, but if you want to talk to me, um, you're most likely going to find me on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, I am Tarot Skeptic. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Thorn the Witch. So yeah, not true. Thorn the Wiccan. Not Thorn the Wiccan. That's right, motherfuckers. <laughs> Thorne is awesome. Uh, thank you, as always, for hanging out with me and doing the show. Thank you all for listening to our first and possibly last ever bar episode. Right. Sorry. We love you, male traditional witches. We really do. And Please uh, keep publishing expensive, beautiful books. And we'll keep buying them Yay. and getting yelled at by significant others. <laughs> My wife, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> Thanks, as always, to the folks at Witch School for hosting the podcast, Raise the Horns Radio. I'm Jason. I'll see you next time. Thanks. during that I was hitting up Jason saying you've got to do this more often please how is well okay what is this talking to Thorne I always enjoy their their conversations it's so much fun and and uh to me good podcasting is when you feel like you're just hanging out with friends and that's why I like to do the porch it's me Pam it uh and I was saying hey Jason you need to do the bar and I can have the porch It'll be great. It'll be awesome. So uh, so if you can, contact Jason if you enjoy that show at the bar um, and, and see if you can get him to do that more often because I really liked it. I thought it was pretty cool. It is the porch. It is Pamit. I am here, and, uh, and hopefully you are there. Well, you're, wherever you are, that's where you're at. Um, I'm, I was really enjoying listening to that conversation with Thorne and Jason, and I was thinking about what she was talking about with the Seeker's Guide to Witchcraft or whatever. And I, I think of a uh, there's an old comedy group from the late 60s, early 70s that I'm a huge fan of called Fire Sign Theater. Yes, Fire Sign Theater. They're Mostly Aries, I think, no wait, I think it's two Aries, a Leo and a Sagittarius, I'd, I'd have, but they're fire signs, right? Fire sign theater, and uh, they have this one album called Everything You Know Is Wrong, and at the beginning of the album, this guy is like uh, welcoming you to this new world, it's about a lot about uh, government conspiracy theories and aliens and stuff like that, and they said, welcome seeker. You may feel alone as a seeker, but don't worry. There's a seeker born every minute. So every time I hear seeker, I think about a seeker born every minute. But if you're seeking, I'm trying to figure out how to make this a segue into my show. If you're seeking things to do with the upcoming uh, Lunasa festivities, a lot of people are like, okay, so what do I do for Lunasa? Hopefully I'm going to give you some ideas. Now, counter Lunasa on the other side of the wheel of the year. So down in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, people are talking about in bulk. That's another one where people are like, oh, what do we do with in bulk? It's kind of funny. There's that little bit of, you know, duality is very important with, with witchcraft, with paganism, with the, the magic, with the wheel of the year. So keep in mind the duality, and uh, we will talk about it. When I think of Lunasa. Some people call it Lamas. 
Um, the reason I stay away from Lamas is more of a personal one because Lamas is the Christian name. Um, it's not, I, I still say Lamas every so often. I even, I think of every, every Lamas, I always post Lamas with hats, Lamas with hats, you know, Carl, because I go, happy Lamas. Yeah, bad joke. I still like it, Lamas. Um, but it has nothing to do with alpacas and llamas and that. <laughs> it's llamas tied. It's um, one of the, the names for that festival, um, that Sabbath, that time of the year. Um, Lunasa comes from, you know, Lou, the, the god Lou, uh, Lou the Lightbringer, um, who there's a lot of incarnations of Lou, depending on which area of um, – you know, Great Britain you come from. And some people feel, you know, if you, you can, some people can, can actually say that that's where the, where you have the, the dark half and the, the light half where the fight, the fight between the two brothers of the two half of the year could be Lunasa. It's all about what you have learned and what feels right to you if that's when you want to do it rather than the solstices, um, that's entirely up to you. Because some people say that, okay, well, Lou died, but, and Maeve, I'm, I'm getting into a lot of weird esoteric uh, Gaelic Celtic uh, uh, beliefs. Maeve um, may have been where Maven got, gets its name that's arguable. Um Maeve was mourning him, so you know Maven is when we actually do the dark half and light half, which makes sense as well because then it's the equinoxes. But I'm not going to get into too much detail. I'm just throwing this all out there. I don't know why I went off on this tangent. Oh, coming back, squirrel, squirrel. Um, okay, so think about the duality and think about the fact that we're coming up to uh, Lunasa, and Lunasa is. You know, we just had the solstice, and it's not Lunasitan yet, but the reason I'm doing this now is is so you might be able to prepare for it and not say, oh, it's Lunasa. What am I going to do now? I didn't have anything planned. Well, here we are planning it. Um, so we just had the solstice. We're traditionally uh, modern pagans, Wiccans, um, which is – Consider that's when we do the the fight between the Oak King and the Holly King, and the Holly King reigns now up until up until uh, Yule. The next solstice when we have the same fight again, depending on which side of the world you're on. Um, so now, even though the days have gotten shorter, it's the nights are not. We're we're not. I'm not noticing that we're losing a lot of night, uh, nighttime, daytime. <laughs> uh, we're, we're getting the long summer nights, you know, the nights that you sit back and you you sit down on your porch and you're starting to get every night you get a little bit more, especially about Lunasa. You get, you get a little bit more of that hint of the chill that's to come a little bit more of, you know, maybe the dryness of things that have grown and are now ready to be harvested. That time of year is coming up. The dog days, usually very hot. 
And people are starting to, you know, if you think about traditionally what we're doing here in the Western Hemisphere, uh, especially if you don't live in a place that has year-round school, most of the United States, we are thinking about back to school. And I think that that's a really good way of thinking about Lunasa, because we've had, you know, hey, Last year, we finished the school year, and we made the next grade. Woohoo! look at all our hard work and what has come. And now it's time to go the hardest. We've, we've finished this grade. Now we're ready for the next grade. We have grown enough for the next grade. What will come? What kind of things will we do to, to better ourselves? What kind of things will we do in the coming school year? Or in the coming year. And as you go into the dark half of the year, you know that our focus is on maybe learning and more on self, you know, doing things for, for to better yourself, usually mentally. Because if you think again about what's happening with the daytime, nighttime thing, uh, more people are going to be inside and more people will probably read more. We'll probably do more things around the house because we're not going out and working in the fields or, you know, doing sports in the summer. We're focusing on what we do with ourselves in the house. So that's a general idea of how I'm trying to get you in the, the frame of mind of, you know, some people have it, some people do it. Some people don't need this from Pammy. Pam, I got it. You're good. But I think a lot of people, when they come to paganism, Wicca, witchcraft, polytheism, whatever path you follow, I think when a lot of people come to it, they some people lose. They, they, they want everything to be otherworldly. They want everything to be fantastic. They want everything to be the craft. Not everybody, but there are some people who, and then and, and some people get caught in that. You know, oh, it's the full moon, and, you know, the full moon this month is uh, is in Aquarius. And that means that, and it, you know, it's, it is an Aquarius when, oh, actually, it's not Capricorn. Capricorn. Um, and the reason I know this is because if you understand the wheel of the year and how the, the year goes with the horoscope, not necessarily the the pagan wheel of the year that has been constructed this you know in the 20th century, but the horoscope, um, wherever the sun is, the moon is going to be the full moon is going to be the opposite opposition, the sign on the other end. So if we're going into um, when we get to Lunasa, it's going to be an Aquarius full moon. But right now, because we're still in the sign of Cancer, the full moon is going to be Capricorn. And you're going, okay, I don't, you know, I'm not following. It's okay if you follow it or not. Um, but um, what I'm saying is a lot of people, when you start getting your mind into the ebb and the flow of the year, and how we still follow that. We still follow that, but we may not be aware of it. So be aware of what's happening around you. Be aware of the ebb and the flow. Be aware that we're heading to 
the first harvest. We're not there yet. And when we get to the first harvest, what you're going to have in the first harvest, and again, I'm talking Northern Hemisphere, what you're going to have in the first harvest are going to be your grains, are going to be your berries, uh, what grows in your area. This is the time of year also that's really cool that that um, I've had this talk in the past that some of the meats that you might have, uh, some of the the, the first um, some try to put words four words where I used to live in Germany every year this time around August the beginning of August they have a um, this one town ancient town has um, what they call a pig fest and the legend goes that they were this town called Wittlich was under siege by the Huns Attila the Hun and his his forces and they you know being a a good fortified town in Germany walled up and were doing pretty well inside the town and the Huns were outside going, Oh, we can't get in. But then they noticed pigs were going in and out of the city freely. So they followed the pig through some tunnels or something and came in and sacked the city. So the town took all the pigs and slaughtered the pigs. And every year they, they slaughter the pigs and they roast them. Now, that may or may not have happened, but during the that time of year, you're going to have people who will take their pork and, you know, slaughter it, make the bacon, make their pork products. Um, I don't know a lot about it. I've talked about it on my show with people who did know, but it's something about the time of year. It's something about the time of year that we're coming into, that we're coming into. If you could think about it, too, think about that wood smoke. That's on the way. Just You don't want the smoke now. <laughs> you smell smoke now, you go, what's on fire? That's not good. So we're not going to try to bring that smoke into, into intention right now, but we're thinking about, we're putting our minds into what's to come when it's harvest time. So I guess the, what I'm trying to do to put you in the mood with this is, is how, how we're already doing this. this uh, oh, the other thing in that, that area of Germany that I loved is it's the time of year where they have wine festivals, berries, right? Grapes. You're harvesting that right now. And everybody's coming, you know, in ancient times, everybody comes to pick all the grapes so we can make the wine, you know, have it next year. Hey, we picked all the grapes and here's last year's wine. Woo-hoo! Good stuff. Hopefully. Um, but Again, look around you and look at maybe um, your area and see what's what's happening where you're at um, and try to apply it to what you're doing. Now, what I'm going into, what I'm going to be talking is what a lot of people now call kitchen witchery. And kitchen witchery is, is just folk magic. It's just, it's just uh, the, 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 the witchcraft of the people of the – you know, that weren't city folk, the people of the country. And they didn't say, oh, I'm a witch. I'm going to do this. They would just know because the time is getting this way. We need to do this because the days are getting shorter. We need to do that. And they didn't go to a witch shop and they didn't go online to their favorite witch 
supply place. Uh, kind of like the opposite of what <laughs> of what Jason and Thorne were talking about in the last show, where they're talking about going into these high-priced boutiques and getting uh, paying 20 bucks for an herb stick or a smudge stick or whatever you want to call it. Um, these are the people that says, okay, well, it's time, you know, the days are getting shorter. It's time for us to go ahead and cut these herbs, hang them to dry, and then we use this herb for for protection. We use this herb for abundance. Well, not all of us grow our herbs. Herbs, herbs. Not all of us grow them. Where do we get them? A lot of us go to the supermarket. You don't have to go to a witch shop. You don't have to go. And 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 I've been I've been saying this for a long time. Be practical about what you're doing. And I love this. When I got last year, Llewellyn sent me this book, and I've been wanting, I need to reach out and see if I can get this gentleman on the show to interview him about this. But I'm just going to go ahead and and tell you about this book because I've been waiting to tell you about it. It's called Supermarket Sabbaths, a magical year using everyday ingredients, Supermarket Sabbaths by Michael Fury. And that's F-U-R-I-E. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Michael. Um. It's a, you know, it's a really good book. Some people like what, what uh, again, what Jason and, and Thorne were talking about. Uh, they might say, oh, no, you don't want to get a pentacle shirt from Target. Why? Because the, the energies around it, you know, it was from Target. It wasn't woven by little fairies in, you know, the the dark forests of, of, uh, of Bayern or Bavaria. Yeah, if you can get fairies to 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 make you a a shirt, oh, awesome. But if what you got is a supermarket, then go ahead and use it. What you do with the supermarket stuff is you can charge it. You can you can charge it to and 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 get it ready for for your intent, for your working. There's nothing wrong with going, especially especially when at the beginning of the of this book, you know, Michael's talking about going to the supermarket around the third week of September or so. And he's talking about he wanders into the supermarket and what does he see? Pumpkins. If there's anything that's gonna get a witch in a great mood about what's coming for the rest of the wheel of the year, it's those pumpkins. Yeah, it'd be nice if you grow your own. Yeah. Or if you go to some witchy place to buy your pumpkins. But most of us get our stuff at the grocery store, at the supermarket. So so don't don't feel like you shouldn't do it. Don't feel like you can't do it. Go to the supermarket. Go to the supermarket. And if you want to, honestly, I'm going to tell you what my first choice would be. My first choice would be if you're in if you are in an area that has a farmers market well okay let's do a step back if your community within your community if you have done a community garden kudos to you awesome call me up i want to interview you because i i've been wanting to have this done in communities that i've been in where the community is going to work towards making this community garden so contact me darkrabbitradio@gmail.com say pam it We've done it, and we want to tell you about the good and the bad about it and the ugly. 
that would be the best thing to do is either you do it or your community has a garden. If not, if somebody within your community grows pumpkins, go to them. Hey, Megan, you're growing pumpkins this year. It would be great to have one of those for our ritual. Um, barring that, the next thing to do, I would say, would be to go to farmer's markets. Or if you know people in your area that have small farms and you can reach out to them. So ideally, you know, that would be the best way to go. Um, and if you can do it from a farmer's market, awesome, because then you know that it's not going to be a big corporate thing that you're giving your money to. You know that you're doing things the old way, the old ways. That's what this is about, the old ways. Um so if you can do that, then go to a farmer's market. At that point, after mar- farmer's market, um, if you have to go to if you have to go to a market from there, you know you can try. If depending on how conscious you want to be of the the impact that you're you're doing, if you want to stay away from from some of the larger chains of cor- of you know mindless, brainless, evil corporations. <laughs> that are trying to suck the life out of, you know, the small businesses, not naming any names because we've all got in our head what those corporations could be. If you want to try to steer away from them and go towards markets that, you know, are um, probably buy and buy from local vendors um, or maybe a mom and pop market, then do that. Now I'm not telling you don't ever shop at these big places because the problem is, is they're so ubiquitous. They're everywhere, and the prices, they're, it's a scam. <laughs> but the prices are really low, and you have to, sometimes you have to hold your nose and just do it. But anyhow, wherever you buy your stuff, you know that you can, you, you don't have to go to a witch shop to buy a pumpkin. So why not go to your supermarket to buy your other ingredients? Nothing wrong with that. One of the things I love about this book, he has a lot of potions and bath salts, the the kind that you put in the bathtub and you bathe in, uh, and rituals. And, um, you know, it gives you good instructions on how to prepare it. The first thing you want to do is, and I'm not going to do this step by step, but I'm going to tell you because some people are going like, okay, Pam, you're telling us just go to the supermarket and you know get something. Well, once you get it and bring it home, you have to charge it with intent. You have to align it to you. You have to make it yours and for your intent. So, um, and focus it for what you're going to do. So um, a lot of people think, okay, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do. I gotta know which phase the moods in. I gotta get my robes in. I gotta have the right incense. No, it could be as easily easy as holding something in your hand. I like to close my eyes, visualize what you're gonna do. One of my favorite things of of, of uh, focusing intent and cleansing at the same time, and and uh, and charging something is when you concentrate on this, take a deep breath in, concentrate on it, and exhale into whatever it is. And as you inhale, visualize the energy of what was there, you know, the machine that picked the apple, 
that's gone now. What you're saying now is this vessel is a vessel for my intent. This is this is uh, something that's going to be, this is something that I purchased for me. It's going to enter my body. It's going to be part of me, and it's going to do this 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 job. Or this is going to be a tool I use. Um, you can, you know, do some people visualizing the energy uh, flowing. You know, if you're trying to do something to for abundance, you're going to do uh, sunwise. Clockwise, if you want to to do something for ban- uh, you know, if you want to remove energy from something, uh, you can do the the counterclockwise. I don't think I want to. I I wouldn't think to charge something you're going to go counterclockwise. I would think that that would be just to get rid of the crap that was there before. And you can, if you want to say something. I usually thank it. But you can say this is something that he's he has in the book. I neutralize any energies not in harmony with me and charge this, whatever it is, with, and then you state what you want, bringing abundance, whatever, protection, power, for the good of all and by land, sky, and sea. Energy is fixed as I will, so mote it be. This is what he has in the book. And that's a good, yeah, I like that. That's pretty good. He's got information on preparing brews, incenses, magic oils. Um, I'm just reading you from the, the book, the, 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 the highlighted things, <laughs> the sections, preparing powders, preparing vinegars. You know, a lot of people, you put, the, you put your herbs in the vinegars, um, bottling them and infusing the energy of the plant into the vinegars. Uh, that's a good thing. Um, and, uh, you know, it goes into some basic good things in here. And you know what, as I'm reading this, what this reminds me of is this is obviously not Scott Cunningham. He's passed, but, but I can tell, I can feel, it feels as if, you know, maybe Michael got some inspiration from Scott. Because I have some of Scott's, Scott Cunningham's books um, that are, I've got one that's, that's taken from his book of shadows and it's got a lot of information like this you know on such and such day plant this with the intent of that and i love stuff like this it's pretty practical and it's magical and it's lovely okay so that's the beginning chapter from that the sections are the wheel of the year ideally he would like you to start around yule if you buy this book and you say okay I'm going to go through the book, kind of like what what Jason and Thorne were talking about. Oh, I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to read Christopher Penzak's book and go through all the the different um, the different lessons. I'm going to start start with uh with day one. You can It'd be nice if you do because there is some stuff like what I was talking about the counter, the other part of the the, the year that can help because it it keeps you focused on, on, you know, kind of sort of what's happening on the different parts of the year. But you don't have to. Um, so chapter 11 in this book is the first harvest. And my significant other, he's not pagan. I was with my pagan friends. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's do a Lunasa. Because I haven't done a lot, of, uh, a lot of rituals here since I've moved to my new location in North Carolina. And I've got some friends that were saying, you know, we should do something. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. We should do something. Let's, 
Let's do Lunasa because that's a good family one. That's a good fun one. And that's a good one that we can we can bake things. I love to bake things. So um, my significant other's like, well, what's what is what do you what's the intent? What's this focus? I'm like, it's the first harvest. Well, what do you do? Well, it's the first harvest. <laughs> you think about first harvest. Um, and and I was I should have given him a, a better idea, but it's hard to I don't know. It's Here's what, what Michael writes in the book. Through the summer solstice, though the summer solstice resents, I can read and talk. And I can even read aloud what I can say aloud what I'm reading. Give myself a chance here. Going to focus. My intent is to read this book and to tell you about it. And then hopefully you will buy this book, Supermarket Sabbaths by Michael Fury, F-U-R-I-E, Michael. He wrote for Llewellyn. It is a magical year using everyday ingredients, and I'm reading the first harvest. Though the summer solstice represents the peak of solar power and the hours of daylight begin to wane, wane with each day that passes until Yuletide, the remainder of the summer season is still quite filled with heat and light. Generally speaking, the month of August is frequently the hottest month of the year, and the daylight hours linger until around 9 o'clock in the evening. This environment gives a perfect setting for outdoor get-togethers, reaping the rewards of summer's bounty. And as the season moves forward, we are given the opportunity to begin to gather the fruits of our labors and once again pause in celebration, this time for the Sabbath of Lunasa. Um, one of the things that he's talking about is, you know, uh, stepping into the potential there's an essentials of life spell that he cast back in, in uh, Beltane and they, uh, this is a good time to go ahead and reinforce what your intentions were. Look back at what you intended to do during spring. What have, how much have you, have you, have, have you done? Okay. Well, this is the first harvest. We still have 12 weeks to, to double down and focus on what we can do until, until selling. So, there you go. He's got a good um, uh, a ritual for this. He does a lot of baths. I like that. I, you know, I'm a water sign, so I love going and you know doing the using water to for magic. I, you know, one of the ways I, I explain to people when uh, when I'm talking about cleansing yourself is I'm like go in the shower, <laughs> have the water wash. The negativity down the drain and and you know it's great when you can add uh if it's a bath you can add the different and you can make soaps too but you can add the different um herbs and and you know fruits and stuff infused um you know things like that to milk to help with that so um again he's got some good rituals here he's got some good uh rituals and the thing that I love every Sabbath. One of the things I used to love about the community I just came from is we had a Sabbath. It was like a potluck, pig and potluck, yeah. And you know we would try to focus on bringing things that corresponded with that Sabbath. So again, we're talking about uh, Lunasa. I have this really mixed issue with corn. 
when we talk about corn with with ancient, if we're going to be like really true old ways, ancient stuff, what they mean by corn, they mean like the seed, the corn seed. They don't mean what we consider corn here now, you know, the corn on the cob or even popcorn, because that's new world. That all came from the new world, and, and our ancient ancient ancestors did not have corn on Lunasa. They had, like, barley corn, corns, the little seeds that came from barley and wheat. That was corn. So, but we live in America. You might. You might not. But if you're in America uh, and you want to, to, you know, corn is corn's coming out now. So corn is part of where we are now. So, so he's got some corn recipes here. Corn for luck and protection. You can make corn dollies, which is always good for luck and protection and abundance and protection. Um, so go ahead and use corn. But just remember that corn is not ancient. Barley corn, and I'm going to talk about that at the end of the show. Barley corn is a good one. Uh, he's got some, some recipes to eat, some recipes for incense, uh, oils, and... Uh, a, a flower power powder that you combine different flowers for different reasons, charge them, and then like use them around kind of like you would do to charge your area, you know, like you would use for with flower, but you're charging it for, for this one purpose rather than like with water or with incense. Use flower because it's lunasa. Um, He's got ideas for charms, uh, witches' bottles. Talks a lot about witches' bottles during the harvest time, um, and rituals. Uh, he's got some rituals in here, and he talks about maybe how you want to store your herbs and such. So it's it's some really good advice, practical advice. Um, and again, we use the term kitchen witch. It's very kitchen witchy. Very kitchen witchy. So if you have somebody that's really drawn to kitchen witchery, uh, this is a good. This would be a good Yule present or a birthday present for them. So uh, again, it's called Supermarket Sabbaths by Michael Fury, F-U-R-I-E. Um, I talked about, you know, I'm going to go ahead and just just touch on Southern Hemisphere because it's the other half of the year. When we talk about Lunasa, we're talking about the first harvest. We're talking about, you know, the flower and stuff that, you know, taking the wheat out of the out of the, the fields and harvesting that. So we're talking about the first harvest, usually of wheat, usually of wheat. When we're talking about in bulk, when you look at the ancient ways that in bulk, that time of year is celebrated, you're usually getting your, your, the last of your flower stores out and you're making pancakes. You have a lot of pancake type of celebrations on the other half of the year. Shrove, uh, Shrove Tuesday, uh, still all over the place with people who have no clue that this might be a pagan thing. There's pancake feast, feast during in bulk. So it's kind of like, you know, here we are, if you're heading towards Lunasa, we are harvesting this, harvesting the flower the weed out of the fields and we're celebrating that then the other half of the year is like okay this is the last of the flower from from last year from the last harvest so we're going to take it because we're going to have a good year darn it but we're going to take it 
and we're going to, to, to take the energy from the fields of last year and we're going to take it in ourselves and we're going to celebrate what a good year we had last year as we start planting for the new year. Um, so that's a thought, you know, the duality. Uh, I was going into the moon stuff. I am a big, anyone who listens to me knows, they're probably going to roll my eyes. My, my, my students always go, oh, no, here goes Pam in the wheel of the year. Um, I'm a big proponent of using astrology to, to take us through the wheel of the year because astrology is how people took, how people, what are the ways that people had calendars? One of the ways that people marked time for centuries, for millennia. And the, the, the new pagan wheel of the year is based on astrology. And why it's good to know astrology is because when you, want, when you know astrology, you understand a little bit more about the, the ebb and flow of the year and the duality. And when I was talking about full moons, whatever sign the sun is in, the moon, the full moon is going to be on the opposite side of the horoscope. So now we're in Cancer, and on the opposite side of Cancer is Capricorn. So when we go into um, into Leo, the opposite side of Leo is Aquarius. Saying that, when with the sun, when the sun is in the um, the sun, let's, let's go with Cancer. The the the, the sun is in Cancer. The dark moon will be in Cancer. The new moon will be in Cancer. So with that, there's some things that you can do with working with yourself, with your, your shadow self too, because your, your new moon is really good for shadow work. Um, and if, you're, if it's your sun sign is Cancer, for example, you could do work on your ego, on your, your, your outer self, your sun self, and then on the dark moon you can work on some of the stuff that you need to fix inside. The reason I'm bringing this this up is, is it's good things to know, but in this book he also has some some good recipes to deal with like um, you know with lunar magic too, um, and even you know some rarities like uh, like leap year and blue moon. Blue moon is one of those ones that people compare. What does a blue moon mean? Oh, it's a blue moon, isn't it? Blue moons have as much energy in them as you wish to give them. Saying that, if it's the second full moon of a month, the month calendar is is not as strong to me as going with the, the horoscope. The second full moon of a sign is far rarer than the second full moon of a calendar month. A calendar month is is a is a construct of, of, if you will, uh, you know. Uh, uh, I'm trying to find a way to not say muggle because muggle is not the right word, but but, <laughs> and muggle's degrading. You know, we don't want to say that, but but it's constructed by people who are are not magical. They're like, okay, we need this many days. We need we're going to call this month this, and and it was. It was based more on the moons and the sun. 
but nowadays it's based on numbers and boxes on a sheet of paper with numbers on them. So if you go with more of a magical, and this is just me again, if you go with more of a magical understanding of what a blue moon could be as a second full moon in a, in a sun sign, then it gives you another chance to work on whatever you need to work on that you would work on in a full moon. Um, this is the thought. And he goes through different meanings of blue moons in here. Along the same lines, we have coming up at the end of the month, eclipse. Anytime you have a lunar eclipse, two weeks on either side, you're going to have a solar eclipse. So anytime you have a lunar eclipse, you're going to have a solar eclipse. It's how it works. Uh, what does a lunar eclipse mean to you? He gives some some uh, some of his thoughts. You know, it de- again, it depends on your school of thought. It depends on what you're thinking. Um, I kind of look at it as the way I describe it to people whenever we come to eclipse time is we're like on the, the ship, the, the floating in the universe ship earth. We're on the, the ship earth. And as we're floating around in the universe and our, in the energy that's holding us in our place in the universe, we've got the, this is why astrology arguably works or doesn't work because we're all you know creatures of mostly water and the gravitational pull of the planets and such and the sun and the moon may or may not affect us just so a school of thought about it you know whatever you want to put into it um but it does tell us how if you know you want we 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 think of astrology only of like I'm a Scorpio. That means that I like this kind of person, and I can fall in love with that person. And maybe no, there's more to it than that. It's it's the year. It's there's a lot more to astrology than who you should be marrying, and who you don't get along with. So, with uh, you know, we're we're in we're floating in the in the universe on Earth, right? And when we have eclipses, it means that we get in between the sun and the moon. So if we think of ourselves as a little as a ship bobbing in the universe, and along comes this ocean liner, and we're this little mid-sized yacht, <laughs> and this ocean liner goes by us, and that's the you know we get in between this ocean liner and this other boat that's too you know comes too close to us, and it's like whoa waves are choppy and stormy and you're like trying to hold on oh my gosh um and the energy oh i can't see that other object right now because the ocean liner is blocking it out or i can't see the ocean liner anymore because that other boat is just so close on the horizon it's blocking out the ocean liner hopefully you're following my analogy hopefully you're saying okay you know the ocean liner is the sun and when the moon gets in the way, we can't see the ocean liner, and the ocean's really choppy, and we got to hold on to the, the rails until it passes by. It's a very powerful time. It's a very powerful time magically. And he gives some good advice on, on things that you can do if you wanted to work with that, with that energy magically. It's not very super uncommon to have a, a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse. What what makes the news is when it's like an it's an entirety where you live. Like last year, we had a, a good portion of the middle of the United States had a total total solar eclipse. That's the rarity. 
but eclipses happen quite often, lunar and solar. And if you get attuned to that energy and you want to work with it, you know, that he gives some advice on, on how to work with that. Um, so this has been a kind of a, a all over the place show. Uh, it, again, this is a, a, a nice book to have in your, in your library. I feel, especially if you, um, if you want to work on, on, uh, you know, dealing, doing stuff through the year, that's, geared to the Sabbaths and not, you know, where am I going to get an ancient unicorn horn and a shirt made by fairies from the darkest woods? Uh, no, go to the, go to the store and get the stuff, go to the store and get the stuff and, and use it. And when we have Lunasa and what we're doing when we are, um, when we're baking this stuff, it's not like, oh, it's Lunas, I have to bake a zucchini bread. No, we have the zucchini in the garden. We have the wheat. We're infusing this energy into this and we're sharing it with our community so we can celebrate Lunasa, so we can celebrate the harvest, so we can come together and enjoy each other's company and enjoy the fruits of what we've done and the fruits of our community, and be a community. And that is, to me, the most powerful magic that a community can put together. Uh, I love to cook for everybody. I like when other people bring their stuff. Um, and, and don't worry, if you're not the cook and you just want to bring plates, you know, find out where you're, you know, the people that you're, you're, you're dealing with and, um, you know, what, what the feelings are, if you're going to, you know, some people are very, very, very uh, conscious of, of the, you know, leaving a, a, a footprint and not wanting disposable. Don't bring plastic stuff. By all means, don't do the straws. But I'm not mocking anyone. I'm just saying, ask the people that you're going with. Cause I made the mistake of bringing plates to uh, paper plates to a, a gathering and oh my gosh, I was shunned forever. <laughs> she brought paper plates I'm like I thought it would be useful and though I try to be a good person I'm not I don't live in a place where I can recycle as much as I would like to so find out from your area do what you can (laughs) okay so I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up the show um the song I I have a song um that I really love to play uh, uh, whenever Lunasa comes. Um, and I'm sorry. I'm trying to type a heart. Somebody sent me a very beautiful thing uh, on Facebook, and I just glanced at it. And it was a very nice thing that she sent me. It's a friend of mine. And she and I'm trying to do a heart, and I keep doing the the uh, lesser than, and then the pound sign because I keep on doing shift three. I'm like ah, okay. So back to squirrel. Back to the the podcast, and now we're back after the small trip from ADHD. I have ADHD, 
I'm not just saying that because people think it's funny. I have ADHD, so I, I apologize. It makes it fun for me to broadcast because I can go off on tangents. And, um, yeah, but then when I see somebody send something really nice on Facebook, I'm like, oh, what podcast? So here I am. I'm back with you. Okay, Wheel of the Year. One of my favorite songs to play when we hit um, this time of year, when we hit Lunasa. And again, we're not at Lunasa yet. I'm hopefully giving you ideas for what you're going to do with your Lunasa. Even if you just bake yourself a loaf of bread and share it with your friends who may not be pagan, you're still still celebrating Lunasa. You're still, like um, for the solstice, I was talking with uh with David and Jeanette Ewing of the Circle Talk Radio, um, they had me helping out with that that show, and I I didn't really have a solstice event, but I did have my first tomato of the year, and I cut it and I shared it with everyone. And to me, I knew what I was doing. To me, I was saying thank you for this and thank you that I can share this with everyone, and it tastes really good, and I'm so proud that I grew this tomato and I can share it with you. So even if you don't have a community around you, if you want to bake something and put that intent in it, you know, and I'm not saying put a spell on people. I'm saying, you know, whoever will accept this from me will accept my blessings of abundance for the coming year. So there's nothing wrong with that. You're not casting a spell on anyone. You're casting a spell on your bread. <laughs> and you're, you're sharing it with people. Um, okay, so the song that I love to play this time of year um, to talk about the wheel of the year and to talk about the, the, the life of the fields and the spirit of the fields is John Barleycorn. And if you listen to it and really listen to it, you will see the cycle of the year. You'll see there's a lot of magical, um, there's a lot of allegory in there. And there's a lot of some magical references, like things that come from the West, especially when you're talking, you know, Celtic uh, type beliefs. Things from the West are usually considered from fairyland or from the unknown. So from the West. And the song starts out, there were three men that came from the West. And they made a solemn vow that John Barleycorn must die. And as they talk about John Barleycorn, the first thing they do is they pound him into the ground and bury him and leave him there. And he's dead underground. Well, after a while, he springs up out of the ground and he grows tall and he grows a long beard and he sways. We're talking about, you know, planting wheat. And as he grows, and gets tall, and he gets that full head of hair and that beard. You know, the the wheat when it when it when it uh, is ready to harvest, it you know it spreads out, it gets full like a like a beard, if you will. Um, so they're like, oh, we're gonna kill him, and so they cut him down. They get people with size, and they say, we're gonna cut you down, and you're dead now. There's a there's another death. Then. The next thing they do for him is they um, they take him and they pound him. They get him into the, the mill. They beat him 
and then they put him in the mill to crush him. That's making flour, or that's making mash. And you know what? The one thing, the wonderful thing about this is it's a good one for, I didn't talk about this one. One of the things that, oh, I talked a little bit about the wine festival, beer festivals. This is where we start, you know, brewing the, the, the stuff, cider. Yeah. So John Barleycorn gives us the, the water of life. The water of life was in, in Gaelic is you know translate into American English into into English as whiskey. Whiskey is the water of life. And we get that from John Barleycorn. And it's because John Barleycorn uh died and he died three times for us so we may live and we may enjoy our life. So that is the wheel of the year. That is the sacrifices through the year. Um it's it's a very magical song and it was a song that traffic steve winwood and traffic a band from the late 60s early 70s did jethro tull did a, a nice version of it uh on a on a on a, a an amazing album uh one of my favorites a uh, little little night music a little light music <laughs> i always get get it wrong because there's a steven sondheim uh musical of a similar name so yeah, I've gotten all theater geeky on you. I'm sorry about that. But the um, the Jethro Tull CD is a is a live CD, and it's got John Barleycorn on it. Yes, I was talking about John Barleycorn. Uh, so I'm going to play. I've got a, a copy from Jack Montgomery and Water Sprite of John Barleycorn, but I'm going to go ahead and play Dave the Bard. Dave the Bard, John Barleycorn, and um, again. Not Lunasa yet, but as you're thinking, as you're planning ahead on what you're going to do with Lunasa, hopefully this will help you out. And hopefully with other other rituals you want to do around your house, um, other rituals that you want to do with your community, and just, you know, how to make your life more magical every day, especially in the kitchen, because I'm telling you, kitchen witchery and working with magic of cooking and preparing things for the people around you that you love to me is some of the most fulfilling magic that I can do. And hopefully for you too. And I'd love to have you come over and feed you. I love Tawatha Day when I had them over. The hand first thing they I go out to the the grocery store and get, get the food that I usually cook for them, make sure that I got hush puppies for Becca, make sure I got Dr. Pepper for uh <laughs> Yeah, I love to feed people. Uh, Dr. Pepper for uh, for Kathy. Yeah, that's that's the thing to do. Feed people and, and give them love. So John Barleycorn was sacrificed to feed us and give us whiskey. There were three men came out of the west their fortunes for to try and these three men made a solemn vow John Barleycorn must die they ploughed, they sowed, they harrowed him in throwing clods upon his head and these three men made a solemn vow John Barleycorn was 
Have a wonderful night. We'll see you in a couple of weeks here on Pagans Tonight Radio Network. Don't forget, in a week, next Wednesday, we have the um, the wonderful Dr. Susan and Michael Graywolf, followed by Maggie the Green and Daphne Jewell with uh, the... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, all acts of love and pleasure followed by petals and potions here on Pagans Tonight Radio Network. You're listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans Unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. 